let's start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. Let's hear what Malcolm had to say. I would say that Uncle Martin is my friend. Uncle Martin is your friend, yet you would disagree with his uh, approach to what he wants to accomplish. Definitely. If his approach would bring about uh, what the black man in America needs to completely eliminate the problem that we have, I would say well and good. But I very much doubt that uh, anyone who uh, adopts the approach that Martin Luther King has been teaching to our people in that country can point to any meaningful gains that has actually served to solve the problem. Black Muslims uh, have sometimes, whether you have or not, and I think probably you have, have sometimes, it seemed to me, been preaching hate to meet hate. Uh, I don't advocate any kind of hate. But there's a lot that, of talk that sounds very much like it. No, I think that the guilt complex of the American white man is so profound until when you begin to analyze the real condition of the black man in America, instead of the American white man eliminating the causes that create that condition, he tries to cover it up by accusing his accusers of teaching hate. But actually, they're just exposing him for being responsible for what exists. Well, that's, that's uh, something of, of an argument. But I've heard speeches made by some of the people of your group. I think I've heard you make speeches. It seemed to me that you were advocating uh, well, I would have to describe, I think, as violence to meet the serious injuries that have been done your people, with which I totally agree. I don't call that violence. Uh, I don't in any way encourage black people to go out and initiate acts of aggression indiscriminately against whites. But I do believe that the black man in the United States and any human being anywhere is well within his right to do whatever is necessary by any means necessary to protect his life and property, especially in a in a country where the federal government itself has proven that it is either uh, in, unable or unwilling to protect the lives and property of those human beings. Just before Pierre takes it, you've got a pretty good fighter in the world's heavyweight champion lined up with you to help out. Yes, Pierre. <laughs> well, Mr. X, if I guess I call you that. Is that a proper uh, appellation, yes. Mr. X? I I'm wondering if you still believe, as I think you certainly did in the time you were allied to the black Muslim movement, in a segregated black nation no north america no. i don't believe in any form of segregation or any form of racism hello baltimore my name is tyrone boast owner bppw he ain't cool and welcome to our show to call tyrone show and i'm here with my millennial co-host my african-american history and cultural gangsters leroy myers graduate student and teaching assistant at the university of oklahoma his area of study is the dynamics of african-american and native american history Say hello, Leroy. Hello. Okay, Leroy, uh, the uh, one, one of my gangsters, history culture gangsters, he's up in uh, uh, Oklahoma right now where he's doing studies uh, for his master's, which he should be receiving real soon, and then he'll be working on his Ph.D. Oh, and my other millennial, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur, 
who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University, the Black Harvard. He is a socially conscious vegan and producer of the Channel 10 podcast, featuring interviews with pioneering rap artists. Good afternoon, Baltimore. Okay, Baltimore. Um, <laughs> what you just heard was um, uh, Malcolm X, Mal- Malik Ahad Shabazz, um, on his return from Mecca, his pilgrimage to Mecca, and um, after he was uh, separated from the uh, nation of Islam, he kind of kind of evolved a little bit, as we we discussed before on on this show, and uh, he was very influential, and in, and in, uh, and actually he set the tone for the militant portion of the movement uh, for for liberation of black folks back in the '60s that was to follow uh, his assassination. Um, uh, by contrast, you had the civil rights movement, which was supposed to be nonviolent. <laughs> actually, it was nonviolent for some people, for the blacks. The blacks were practicing nonviolence in that movement, but the whites were, you know, sicking dogs on them and, and other things and other nasty things and, and beating with clubs. At, at the same time, they were practicing seeing nonviolence. And uh, some of Malcolm X's views, you know, for one thing, he saw that every human being, black, white, whatever, had the right to self-defense by any means necessary, as you just heard on that clip. So he was in, in total agreement with the way the civil rights movement was being handled in the liberation process. And it was a liberation process because they were actually, uh, segregation was enforced by law and, and discrimination was enforced by law. There were signs that said, we don't hire blacks. It was, it was out there visual. You know, now it's a little more slicker now. You know, instead of, uh, instead of Jim Crow, you got a James Earl Crow Esquire. You know, so it's a little more sophisticated uh, amount of uh, discrimination and, and we and we're so um we're in our uh, color, colorblind slumber that we don't realize that at, the, at this time even in this day and age we are in some ways being oppressed if you you pull the blankets back and that's what we're doing we're exposing things that are hidden in plain sight so we can all can see uh what's going on so let's see i'm, and I'm gonna show you how malcolm was a was a prophet let's see and we're gonna talk about other things we're talking about zimmerman's uh gun that he's trying to auction and and we're going to talk about uh, the Innocence Project and some other things that's uh, current in the news. But let's, for now, let's talk about Malcolm's birthday. is coming up. we got, we got to pay homage uh, to, to um, a prophetic uh, speaker uh, from the African-American standpoint. Um, let's say if we ask uh, Malcolm X um, about Freddie Gray. Let's, let's see what Malcolm X would say in, in relative to uh, Freddie Gray, if he were here today. The white press inflames the white public against Negroes. The police are able to use it to paint the Negro community as a criminal element. The police are able to use the press to make the white public think that 90% or 99% of the Negroes in the Negro community are criminals. And once the white public is convinced that most of the Negro community is a criminal element, then this automatically paves the way for the police to move into the Negro community, exercising Gestapo tactics, stopping any black man who is in the, on, on the sidewalk, whether he is guilty or whether he is innocent, whether he is well-dressed or whether he is poorly dressed, whether he is educated or whether he is dumb, whether he's a Christian or whether he's a Muslim, as long as he is black and a member of the Negro community, the white public thinks that the white policeman is justified in going in there and trampling on that man's civil rights and on that man's human rights. Once the police have convinced the white public that the so-called Negro community is a criminal element, 
they can go in and question, brutalize, murder unarmed, innocent Negroes, and the white public is gullible enough to back them up. This makes the Negro community a police state. This makes the Negro neighborhood a police state. It's the, it's the most heavily patrolled. It has more police in it than any other neighborhood, yet it has more crime in it than any other neighborhood. How can you have more cops and more crime? Why? It shows you that the cops must be in cahoots with the criminals. Okay, okay, very prophetic. Very prophetic. Uh, if you think, um, th and that's what's going on today, and especially with this, uh, this, uh, and I keep harping this, this, the dangers of the of the the uh, this whole this whole uh, drug policy in the United States and war on drugs. I keep harping on that because because of what just what Malcolm says. As as long as uh, the American public or can be convinced that, um, and and a lot of blacks feel this way too. You know that we have a, a criminal element that is like ninety percent or more. Almost anything goes. You can go in there and kill somebody, and you know what's the point? You know, you know what's your problem? You know, this, they're criminals. They're and they're animals. They're super predators. You know that type of thing. So any tactics that you use, and some of the things he, he uh, you just go in there and question people, you know, at will, um, uh, uh, harass them, you know, at will, and 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 even in some cases murder people at will. You know, as we've seen with with, with the. Uh, uh, Tyrone West and the Freddie Gray uh, killings. You know, apparently uh, there's no no um, uh, um, there's there's no uh, justice in this situation. And uh, one thing with Malcolm X, um, he's able to diagnose the problem and then uh, offer a solution. And by diagnosing the problem, um, he he lets people know, especially black people, know that you know they aren't what the general population says that they are and it instills a certain amount of pride so like we do with this show we un um, uncover the truth hidden in plain sight to let you know that you know you aren't a criminal you aren't you know a super predator you aren't a thug and you know that you know you are worth something and that um that these are the s systems that are put in place um which create the situation that's going on now and then provide solutions um to that situation right um and so you know malcolm x was great at that Right, and and that's not to absolve anybody from personal responsibility. Of course, right. we're not absolving anything anybody from personal responsibility. But we got to understand that there there are uh, measures, and I'm not saying by either on purpose or by accident, that are you know placed in our path to uh, conduct us into a situation where we have mass incarceration of impoverished people in our communities, and um, the you know as 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 and a lot of things contribute to that. You know, the uh, unequal application of the law. And, you, you know, you have the, the black market of drugs, okay, in impoverished communities. Nobody says they have to sell drugs. You know, nobody's forcing anybody to sell drugs. But uh, as long as we've never been in that situation, we can, we can um, smugly say they deserve what they get. You know, so what? You know, so what if we, we're imprisoning one in three uh, black males in the United States? And I was going to say, um, also, you know, Malcolm X, he was the um, he was the epitome of personal responsibility. And he preached that. Um, and he he let you know, you know, especially when it comes to drugs and alcohol and, you know, the nation of Islam stands Even adultery. Right. And mm -hmm. adultery. And and, you know, their stance on these types of situations. He lets you know where these behaviors come from um, and how it's introduced into the community. And, and you know, some some background information to to help you understand why and give you the motivation to actually you know 
go ahead and take that res- that uh, personal responsibility and how to do it. Uh, Leroy. Yeah. So um. So yeah. So uh, you know, another good thing about Malcolm X and his strategy of uh, of oratory is that he simply used common sense. So I would say, if you let's say if you compare Malcolm to let's say Martin Luther King, um, well, me personally, I would say that Malcolm X he he spoke in more in more plain speak. So you know, for example, when he said. Uh, you know how can you have uh, how can you have uh, more more crime with more cops in an area? Um, you know certain things like that, and then also, you know how he talks about America as a prison, and how you know we see time and time again a lot of leaders uh, in the Black Power and Civil Rights movements who use the prison as the strategic metaphor to try to uh, to try to bring more light to the larger institutional structural. Um, barriers that you know that minorities had um, and still do have in America at this point. Okay, um, and uh, you said some about thugs, and immediately after Freddie Gray riots, they, they the the conversation went to, oh look at the thugs and all this stuff in the streets, and um, you know the the conversation shifted away from why they were rioting in the first place. Nobody wanted to talk about that. Mm-hmm. They wanted to simply call them thugs, and uh, they just doing this for nothing. They don't have anything going on that. That that merits this. They had no legitimate gripes or, or, or being in a police state or anything like that, and having their rights uh, constantly taken from as young people and being harassed by the police. We don't believe that actually happens, and um, and we're going to produce evidence that this stuff does go on because a lot of black people don't believe this stuff happens too, and we're going to let white people tell you that it's ha- happening. <laughs> so you know, because some some black folks don't believe that you know anything's true unless uh, white fe- folks say it anyway. Um, I guess you can call it plantation mentality. But um, we're trying to uh, relieve you of that condition. Uh, so, but but Mal- before we get to that, uh, Malcolm X was actually born in by the FBI. Now, the FBI, it was black people that killed Malcolm X, okay? They, they're nation of Islam members, by the way. But the FBI was instigating stuff between Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. And they were writing letters and signing them, pretending to be one or the other, and, and keeping the beef going. And they just stood back. And the, the uh, mode of divide and conquer and watch them fight amongst themselves, which they, they frequently did with civil rights leaders in that era. So let's listen to, and this is to tell you what type of man Malcolm X was. This is right here. He had no idea anybody would ever hear this conversation. But the FBI brought him in for questioning. These are newly released tapes from the FBI, okay, of, um, of Malcolm X being brought in for questioning by the FBI. Listen carefully. Of money brings out uh, the information. Uh, I know uh, intent to insult you here. According to Dylan, uh, what's his name, the Secretary of Treasury? This yeah. the money, this government's money is in such trouble. Until, you can still spend it. <laughs> still, according to uh, your government economists, the dollar itself is in such trouble. A person would be a fool to sell his soul for one of these decreasing dollars. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You'd be a fool to sell your soul if the dollar was increasing. Uh, this has nothing to do with selling your soul. I mean, it, it, if you look at it that way, okay. Yeah, but it depends on how you look at it. Sure. You know. insult my intelligence when they, and not only they insult me, period. If they think I would tell them anything. But uh, it, 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 would, uh, it would be good, and I think uh, in, in many ways it might... Uh, might be of some benefit to your organization. You know, it's, yeah. it's in fact, we can eliminate people. There's no government agency that can ever expect any information out of me that's in any way detrimental 
to any religious group or black group for that matter in this country. No government agency. It's fine because they should use that same energy to go and find who bombed that church down there in Alabama. And if they, if, if the government, if these government agencies spend as much money and time and energy, you know what's somebody in the south. Okay, okay, that was Malcolm X being um, uh, bought in by the FBI, and he's being questioned. This was after his break. Now you got to understand, this is after his break with the Nation of Islam. And he was—he even expected them of uh, of uh, firebombing his home, and he was still against, you know, betraying, you know, the people in general. He also he 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 he, he was so loyal, but he was loyal to the people rather than to to any individual or any organization. He's more loyal to the people, and that's why I remember somebody saying we need leaders that could. If you saw the, the movie Malcolm X with Denzel Washington, by the way, all these things you hear on this show are real Malcolm X uh, clips. It's not Denzel Washington. I'm not going to put Denzel Washington on this show. <laughs> no, not when I can get the real Malcolm X, okay? That's ridiculous. So that was actually Malcolm X's voice in the FBI questioning him. Now, now if, if, if the, like, as I said before, as I indicated before, Malcolm X is more loyal to the people than, the, uh, than any organization or any person. So that took uh, uh, first place. Now, you had the FBI bribing him. And, and further on in that clip, they were saying, we can make people disappear. Stuff like that. You know, the FBI was saying this stuff. And Jagger Hoover's FBI was saying this stuff. Because uh, they were using a thing called COINTELPRO. A lot of people don't believe it exists, but there's all kind of stuff that's been released on that. Okay, if you want to do the research, COINTELPRO is a program to undermine the civil rights movement and all kinds of leaders in the 60s and 70s. And it's probably still going on. But uh, it was one of um, Jagger Hoover's uh, 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 pet projects. And um, even though Malcolm X was currently, you know, had had um, an outing with you know the um, uh, Nation of Islam, he was not about to, to betray any of the people because he saw that the people actually benefited from the Nation of Islam, and um, you know he he didn't want to upset that uh, Zach. Yeah, and uh, even in that clip, uh, you can hear the FBI agent saying uh, it would benefit your your organization if we got rid of some people, and um, you know they try to bribe him with. You, you, with that type of power and uh, prestige of eliminating his em- his uh, enemies, um, but you know he had a foresight to see you know who his real enemies were, and um, you know I think that that's that's uh, very telling as to what right. type of leader he was. He's a very stand up leader. It's, it's almost right if you read the, the Bible, uh, how the devil would. <laughs> I won't call it by <laughs> devils, but if you read the Bible seriously, if you read the Bible, you you see how the devil would tempt Jesus and then t- promise him the world and all that stuff. It's almost like a devil offering you something, mm-hmm. but the devil's intent is to destroy you. No matter what the devil offers you, his, his whole intent is to entice you to accept it so he can destroy you or, or have your soul. That, you know, that is what that, that clip was getting at. And Melvin was about to sell his soul for any amount of money. And that's, that's very admirable. He had no idea anybody would ever hear that. And he could just easily accept the money and turn in all kinds of you know, people, but that was not Malcolm. Let's take a caller. Okay, we're going to go to Gene. How's it going, Gene? Hey, guys. Hey, How Gene. you doing, man? All right. Yeah, yeah, this is a classic. Man, that's a classic there. You got to go in the uh, FBI interview with Malcolm. Yeah, a lot of people, if you told them that, they wouldn't believe it. That's why I try to provide, you know, uh, evidence of my research because people are like, oh, he, he hates white people and all this kind of No, I don't hate anybody, you know. But I, what all I'm doing is laying out the, the truth for you to decipher yeah. on your own. The yeah. truth is the truth. You can't change it, whether it's black, white, or red, or indifferent. Yeah, the, ter- the term, the chickens come home to roost, roost uh, uh, 
precedes this. That's when he was uh, exiled from the Nation of Islam. Right, right, right. Uh, there was something he said about the JFK assassination. Yeah, JFK assassination, right. right. And then, you know, he... But that was... But, Gene, in all, in all honesty, that was... A, uh, that was just um, an excuse to uh, to silence um, uh, Malcolm because of course yeah. because some things were already going around going on in the background as I indicated before the FBI was sending letters mm-hmm. back and forth between Malcolm and, and Elijah Muhammad and these type of things and there were ministers in the nation I'm not gonna say any names yeah. <laughs> that were jealous of Malcolm mm-hmm. okay and uh, they wanted to bring him down anyway because some of the ministers were actually according and this is according to mm-hmm. what Malcolm was saying. Well, they were able to actually go into some of the businesses, take money out of the till, and, and do all kinds of things. And they knew, That's and at that time, Elijah Muhammad was sick. Yeah, with and they, period, let me finish. Let me finish. I'll let you talk. Let me finish. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you talk, but let no, me finish no, this. Yeah, at that time, Elijah Muhammad was sick, and they thought that Malcolm X would become the next leader, a lot of those uh, ministers. And they knew he would clean house yeah. if he ever became leader of that organization. Yeah. And then they had to do get rid of him. And when he started um, asking questions about Elijah Muhammad, that was it. So that was just an excuse. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gene. No, 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 no. I mean, you're you're right on point. And I don't, you know, uh, I just appreciate, uh, you know, you uh, presenting this period in history, and just in in general, um, what was it? Uh, black nationalism. Uh, I think that it, it because it's become a, a part of our culture, and you know, younger people and some other people who resisted uh, the movement, they they don't understand. How, you know what what it means in the uh, history of uh, black nationalism. So you know, again, I said I applaud you guys, man, for uh, um, you know putting this out there. Right, and you know what? We you know what? Um, we got no call, but you know what? Um, what made Malcolm X? What really made Malcolm X? I'm telling you, his loyalty was one that made mm-hmm. him. And, and his willingness to, to actually stand up for the people. Sure. Um, there was an incident in 1957. I, I know if you saw the movie. If you saw the movie uh, Malcolm X, where he waves his finger mm-hmm. at the police station and those people disperse, yeah. that actually happened. Yeah. That that was in Harlem. It was a guy. Um, um, it was called the uh, the Johnson Henson mm-hmm. Johnson X Henson uh, incident. There was a, a black man that came across a police officer beating on another black man, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, this ain't Alabama. Stop beating that man." Yeah. And the police turned around, and started beating him. Yeah. And they put him in, you know, they, they he beat him so bad, he needed medical attention, but they kept him in the police station. Yeah. He just happened to be a member of Malcolm X's mosque, yeah. mosque number seven. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Malcolm X went right down there, and by that time, it was like 2,000 people assembled outside that precinct. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he demanded that that man get medical care. They stayed there. Those people stayed there at 2 o'clock in the morning, and Malcolm X, you know, well, well waved his finger because they, they had been, well, well, well yeah, actually, got, got what happened was they did. Now. They did allow him to go to the hospital and get uh, treated in Harlem. Then they yeah. brought him back to jail. And by that time, 4,000 people had gotten uh, gathered around him. 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Malcolm told those people that they needed to disperse, you know, yeah. at 2 o'clock in the morning because they had come to a stalemate with him getting bail. Mm-hmm. But they finally, Malcolm was able to negotiate bail for him, and they dumped his body out in the street. Yeah, and they know. actually were able to take him to get yeah. uh, medical treatment. And actually, he sued New York and got the largest settlement yeah. from the Right, place. right. Absolutely. But but that man had guts. You know, and the people understood that Malcolm would die for them, so they were willing to die for Malcolm. Yeah, no That's why he had he was able to wave. A lot of people don't understand how he was able to do that mm-hmm. and had that kind of power, because the people understood that man had guts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was authentic. You know, I, there's also a PBS documentary mm-hmm. on, on Malcolm X that's uh, ex- excellent. And uh, I, I had actually have it posted on my on my website. But, we you know, we'll talk about that another time. All right, Gene. I'm going to move on. we got some more calls. I right, love you guys. Thank All you right. so much. All right. Thank you. Okay, next up, we're going to go to Don. Good afternoon, Don. Hey, Don. Hey, good evening to you. Good evening. How, <laughs> how you doing? Good afternoon, rather. Six o'clock. Yeah, uh, Six o'clock. Hey, do you think uh, the government is uh, doing more spying on uh, American citizens than they are 
and foreign, uh, so-called foreign citizens. I know the United States is more more. <laughs> they got something called the uh, Patriot Act. <laughs> In case you don't believe me, go read it. They, that means they can eavesdrop on your phones. That's been a big thing, discussion in Congress about that. They, the FBI has the ability to eavesdrop on all your phone conversations and all that stuff. A lot of people say, oh, what's the big deal about that? Right. But if you know the history of the FBI and, and, and the intelligence agencies in the United States, they use a lot of that power in the wrong way. They use yeah. it to try to undermine Dr. King. You know, they were trying to um, implicate Dr. King and all kinds of stuff. You know, they even made, fabricated tapes of Dr. King having sex with people. They fabricated these tapes, according to Andrew Young. Now, if you want to believe Andrew Young, fine, who knew Dr. King. But if you want to believe these other idiots out here with, with all this innuendo, believe them. But let Andrew ask, Young said that stuff was fabricated. I'm sorry, go ahead. Let me ask you another question. Why do you think uh, police brutality is so acceptable in America? I'm supposed to explain it to you later. I got some white folks that are going to talk about that. I'd rather let y'all hear from white people. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But uh, let's move to the next caller. Thank you so much. Okay, next up we have Lady Maggie. Good afternoon, Lady Maggie. Thank you. Peace and blessings to all of you. How's it going, Lady Maggie? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I am appreciating what you're putting out there and want to share my little bit. And first of all, I'm going to start with two books. One is called As They Knew Him. It is a very wonderful, warm, loving way that uh, people like Maya Angelou, uh, I even believe um, Baldwin was in there. Uh, is there some technological something going on? Uh, no, no, no. We hear you. Okay. I hear you. So um, it is a wonderful book for anyone who does not know um, Malik El Shabazz, who was first called Malcolm. Right. And, um, Malcolm Little, Detroit Red. <laughs> but yes, go ahead. Yes. But we know and you're talking about. You can't forget that the government is really us, the people. But those that we put in place sometimes are being deceived and manipulated. Like if you think somebody like uh, Carter, I mean, not Carter, um, the last one, the young Bush. Uh, remember they talked about uh, his lack of education and all of that? You talking about George Bush, uh, George uh, W. Bush? Yes. Yeah. So you can take someone like that who would love to make his father proud of him and then manipulate him to do what you want him to do. I'm sure there are a lot of us, or at least enough of us, who understand that you can deceive even the president. So the second book is They Dare to Speak Out. And this was a book by a former Senator Paul Finely. Okay, we're writing this down, Maggie. But, okay. but go ahead and conclude. We'll write his books down, but go ahead and conclude. Okay. Jesse Jackson is uh, one of those who dared to speak out. And then his family went on attack, exposing everything about him. So uh, when we, we have to remember double agents, because remember, J. Edgar Hoover was the one who targeted Malcolm. He targeted, uh, well, I can't say it was J.A. Hoover with uh, Malcolm, but I know it was him with um, Martin Luther King. Right, right. It was a lot of a lot of leaders. Who are you doing? The Black Panther Party. A lot of our, our leaders were targeted uh, by COINTELPRO. One of their main misses was to dismantle the Black Panther Party, and they yes. pretty much succeeded <laughs> by well, all kinds of, you know. Too. Ma uh, what's her name? Maxine Waters. She took... Uh, agents that were in the uh, CIA who put uh, drugs in L.A., I think it was. And I was with those from Baltimore who went to those hearings uh, 
to when um, she and others, I'm sure, with her, but she was the person who took that uh, position of guide, you know, against the, what was it called, the Iran-Contra right, right. and all that drug. You're talking about Freeway Rick Ross forget, and all that stuff. Don't forget this one last statement. I'll go with this if you need me to. When Malcolm, it was uh, reported that Malcolm said, uh, this is not the nation when he was being chased. He said, this is not the nation I know because I trained the nation. So, see, he was working on the inner security for us as a people so that we could guard and protect ourselves and thrive as we had a right to. Okay, okay, Lady Bay, thank you for your comments. We still have that right to thrive, and nobody has a right to encroach on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Peace. (laughs) Thank you. Peace. Okay, now let's talk about uh, how <laughs> white people and some some older Negroes <laughs> view uh, law enforcement, and this will explain what's going on. Go ahead. I'm sorry. White people in general, specifically middle class, upper middle class, and rich white people, struggle with. They don't get the idea. They can't wrap their mind around the concept that the relationship between the police and the black community or police and minority communities or police and poor people in general is a totally different dynamic than the one that they're used to. Because to most white people, definitely white people who are upper middle class and rich, they genuinely see the police as, what do you mean, when something bad happens, you call them and they come and help you and that's it. And the reason that they have that point of view is because that is what the police are for them. For them, it's unthinkable to them that, like, what, a police officer is going to harass you when you're walking down the street? And you're wearing a suit and tie and you're walking down the street. It's easy for that police officer to think, oh, that guy may have a congressman who's a dad or maybe a Wall Street banker may have some power. There's no way I'm going to stop and frisk that guy. Which is why you see it, it's reflected in the statistics. It's reflected in the numbers. When you look at uh, stops and frisks in New York City, they never do it on Wall Street or in any higher income areas. They only do it to minorities. They only do it to uh, black people and Hispanic people. And look, it, let's face it, if they were to do stops and frisks of some of the white guys wearing uh, suits and ties, uh, you, plenty of times you'd find cocaine. We just did a story yesterday. A lot of these guys are taking Adderall without a prescription because it helps them when they're bankers and they have to work long hours. A lot of these guys have business cards for, you know, uh, high price hookers that they go to all the time. But they're not going to go after those people, again, for systemic reasons. They're not going to go after those people because they know that. Those people may have power. So there's nothing objective about this. There's nothing fair about this. And when you look at what the police do in minority communities and poor communities, it's honestly just a shakedown in many respects. Look at the recent Ferguson report from the Department of Justice. What did they find about Ferguson? That 25% of the revenue for uh, their budget comes from, you know, fining black people for petty offenses. This is the problem with the broken window style policing. It's just a license to discriminate and harass people. This is the problem with uh, the drug war, for example. Again, it's a green light for cops to just uh, abuse authority and go after people. Okay, okay. You see the tie-in with the drug war. Okay, white folks know this is going on. Now, this this guy, he's a white person. Well, he understands, you know, what's going on as well, and he's willing to talk about it. Okay, so... This is not a figment of our imagination. This is reality. This is what's happening in our communities. And, and as I said before, law enforcement is not practiced the same way 
in Sandtown, Winchester, as it is practiced in Roland Park. Okay, there's a kinder or Fells Point or Ken. There's a kind of gentler approach to law enforcement when it's executed on middle class whites and even middle uh, upper middle class blacks. You know, the elitists um, who really don't care what's going on in those communities. I mean, if you ask them, I mean, well, they, they're going to tell you they do, but they don't. You know, uh, Zach. Um, and even when you speak to, um, you know, there's been a few instances of uh, of, of uh, police officers who've come out and uh, said that, you know, th- uh, that exact same uh, sentiment um, that, you know, they might be stationed in a in a more, um, you know, white, wealthy area. Um, but in order to make their quota, they have to go to an area, you know, that's um, that's, you know, mostly black and impoverished in order to make their quotas. Um, yeah, was that one cop that would take off and go to make his quota in the black neighborhood because he wasn't wrestling up people? <laughs> I'm looking for his name now. Um, <laughs> okay, while he's looking, go ahead, yeah, Leroy. I spoke about last week. But that's true. That's the truth. That's, that, that's actually happened, believe it or not. These things are going on in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not just. Okay? And we need to, do need to uh, speak out about it. Uh, let's take a caller. Okay. Um, next up on the line, uh, thank you for calling WLB. Uh Gene? Yeah, I just called back. I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, you guys don't like the people don't like to give their email addresses over the, uh, you know, over the over the air. But do you have a contact email? Uh, you can uh, reach out to us at uh, calltyroneshow dot com, and you can listen to all the back episodes. And there's a contact on there. Okay, thank you very much. No thank problem. You, thank you. Thanks for calling back. Yeah, so, so we put that out. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, Leroy, I'm sorry. Oh, um, yeah. You know, just. Whenever, I mean, just going through my everyday life, you know, throughout high school, um, you know, what, uh, what that, the previous clip, um, you know, really, it really exemplified my life as a high school student in high school, going through different neighborhoods and, and, you know, always dealing with certain things like that. And then also, you know, I, I went to a high school where, uh, where there was a, uh, a prison right across the street. So you, so you had this kind of private school in the middle of this, uh, high poverty neighborhood, and so at the same time, while you're while you know you're trying to be educated, you have to walk past a large prison. Um, you know, certain people from the prison may say certain things to you, and then you have to deal with um, this high police presence. Absolutely, like, the, like the, as Malcolm indicated, a police state. Right, even the right, good kids exactly. get caught up. The good kids caught, get caught between the thugs and the police. They get they catch it from both ways. The, the thug exactly. and the police are, are catch. Are, are, that's where the good kids get it from. Unfortunately, in our neighborhoods, and that's not right. Uh, next caller. Right. Okay, we're going to go to Floyd. How's it going, Floyd? Yes, Floyd. Hello. How are you guys doing today? We feel right. fantastic. Right. How about yourself? Uh, same old soup, just warming it over. <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to mention something. You know, go ahead, I, sir. I, I'll be, if you would allow me, I, I've, uh, I'll be 66 this coming October 2nd. Congratulations. And thank you. A lot of us don't live that long anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, and you would not believe me if I told you I have never coincided with the... Uh, judicial system as right, far as incarceration. I've coincided with him a lot. Because but you know, the young man earlier made a very, very good point. Go ahead. Uh, if you, first and foremost, if you don't want to identify with the particular segment, that's one thing. And then when you're not dealing with someone on a consistent basis, then, and you're middle class, or like the gentleman said, rich. Right. Then when, when you call the police, then you expect they're that you're correct or wrong. That's right. And they're, they're, and that's they're there to protect and serve. But the, the the thing that we overlook in this country, which is I think is very poignant, if that's the right word, because I'm not educated. That's all right. You said educated. I think though. what's very very important here is this. Yes, sir. If you are a coward without 
police cadet training with a uniform on, then you're going to be a coward with a uniform and cadet training. And some people's mentality is, why should I go through a whole lot of hustle and bustle with this guy? I got a gun. And I'm eliminated, whether it's a real threat or it's a phony. You know, just like with Walter Scott in South Carolina. Yep. That was the most, that, that, that hurt me to my heart like, like, like nothing in a long time, not to mention Trayvon Martin. Right, but, right. But, but gonna, I enjoy it. As a matter of fact, show. I got something about Trayvon Martin, uh, Floyd. Yes, and sir. I, and I'm about to, um, I'm going to let you listen to it in a minute. If yes, you, sir. If you, if you want to hang on, you can. But I, I, I would love to. Okay. Because, All you know, right. like old saying, when they, at the end of the day, every rabbit got a habit. But How I about would love that? to listen to it. Okay, let's go to uh, um, uh, tr- um, Zimmer's gun. Uh, let's let's uh, talk about Zimmerman's gun. Team, the neighborhood watch captain was acquitted of shooting the unarmed teenager. Uh, he's not the neighborhood watch captain. He's not a neighborhood watch captain. He was not a neighborhood watch captain. He was not a neighborhood watch captain. George Zimmerman was a racist, violent maniac with a history of violence and assaulting police officers who wanted to gun down black kids. That's who this is. He wasn't a frickin' neighborhood watch captain. He wasn't. He was a vigilante who wasn't even a vigilante. He was a criminal looking to shoot black kids who were unarmed. So he's not a neighborhood watch. Why do they? Why they can't help themselves? They can't help themselves. Why? Because they're not able to introduce Zimmerman as a maniac. Hey, you know, hey, you know, the deranged maniac, racist, homicidal maniac, who's who's had a history litany of run-ins with the police over violence, domestic violence, guns, all kinds of issues. They can't introduce him like that. They still say neighborhood watch captain. The auction description says funds raised would be used to, quote, fight Black Lives Matter violence against law enforcement officers. Well, at least it's going to a bad cause. I move past it. Otherwise, it's going in the safe for my grandkids. <laughs> for his grandkids! Holy He's going to, hey, here's, uh, here's the firearm I used to kill an unarmed kid about your age. <laughs> Oh, really, Grandpa? You're so brave. Yes, I was brave. I was brave the way I lied to the cops. I was brave the way I attacked that 14-year-old kid without a gun. And then I shot him. I was pretty brave. I've been pretty brave. I was brave when I pulled a rifle on my girlfriend. I was pretty brave then, too. Hey, look at that. Hey, here you go. My, it's from my grandkids. Private life, living a very private life, being a useful member of the public, threatening ram, random people in traffic, and tweeting images of Martin's dead body. That's what he's been doing, living very under the radar, threatening people in traffic randomly, tweeting out pictures of the guy, that, the kid that he killed. So, as you can see, how despicable this whole thing is with with the whole Zimmer, Zimmerman uh, sorry episode. He's been benefiting off this this from day one off this killing, and they, he was able to raise uh, half a million dollars for his defense alone. So he's been living high off the lamb, or you know, <laughs> off of killing an unarmed uh, black teen that lived in the neighborhood he killed him at, whose father lived there. So it had every right to be there. So I mean, this is very disgusting. And and by the way. It reminds me of lynchings. Uh, in the South, when they lynch people, they would take souvenirs a lot of times. So they would cut an ear off or other body parts I care not to talk about on the air. Mm-hmm. Okay? very. I mean, it, it, as, as bad as it sounds, it's the truth. And the truth is the truth. Okay? And, and that's, that's what this sounds like to me, a lynching trophy, that gun. 
is, is, is akin to a lynching trophy. They would also give out postcards. You look this stuff up. I'm not making this stuff up. I wish I was. And they would send out postcards of lynchings. And, and you know, to, to uh, acquaintances in all over the country when they had a lynching. They would take a picture of, of the lynching and, send, and, and make it into a postcard. Um, there's a site on the web that ha- actually has some of those postcards um, uh, listed. So... I'm trying to remember that. I'm trying to remember that site on on the web that that actually, uh, in case in, in case somebody wants to uh, look it up for some strange reason. But at any rate, um, if you look hard enough, you'll be able to find. I'm not going to go through all that. Um, so we got to remember that this guy um, he wanted to have a, a prize fight with um, DMX and all this stuff, and, and actually benefit off this killing. That's incredible. It's incredible. And even some, uh, as I said before, some white folks of goodwill. Even they know that that this is this is wrong, you know, uh, Zach. Um, it looks like the uh, website looks like without sanctuary. Yeah, without sanctuary. Right. Without sanctuary. If you don't believe what I'm saying about these postcards about uh, lynchings, go to the website with, uh, without sanctuary, and you will see what I'm talking about. I want you to look it up. As a matter of fact. I believe uh, Zimmerman. Um, I believe he's been selling uh, artwork. Right, um, and he's been tweeting pictures of of uh, Trayvon Martin's dead body. By the way, to to people. So, I mean, he's got a lot of fame and acclaim from doing what he did. And some people don't have a problem with it. And I'm pretty sure you'll find somebody to buy that gun. It's probably worth millions as, as a lynching trophy. Um, uh, Leroy? Yeah. Well, you know, this, this, this whole thing with, uh, with Zimmerman and this, this whole issue with, you know, with the, the selling of this gun, auctioning, auctioning off this gun, is, it is really disgusting. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely surprised. Uh, you know, the... You know, if you want to be, want to look at, you know, I guess the uh, different eras. Uh, the 1960s wasn't that long ago. The Civil War, damn near, wasn't that long ago. You know, slavery wasn't wasn't that long ago. So, I mean, you know, yet again, you know, this is um, that, you know, this. Yeah, there's there's been, been over 4,000 lynchings since uh, um, uh, from 19, I believe, 1982 recorded. Now, there's one some that haven't been reported, but <laughs> of course, uh, since uh, from 19 uh, between 19. Uh, Eight, uh, 1882, I'm sorry, and uh, 1968, something like 4,000 or 3,700, if my memory serves me correct. I'm just talking off the top of my head, so don't quote me on that, but I know it's close to that figure. I know that. Right. Um, right. And, and, so, and, you know, and these issues, you know, these are, you know, once again, these are historical and structural issues that, you know, that we still have, you know, yet to conquer. Okay. Now, let's talk about, um, uh, let's have an honest conversation about law enforcement, and then we'll go to the caller. Uh so let's have an honest conversation about law enforcement. For 10 years or 30 years, and then you become part of the system, and then, you know, oftentimes you become a, uh, an actual criminal and a hardened criminal when you have to go into the system. And what happens when you come back out? It's a vicious cycle. And it's a vicious cycle that's almost by design. Look, Karl Marx, he was wrong about many things in my opinion, but he did have this brilliant idea and this brilliant theory called conflict theory which is the idea that criminal justice in a capitalist society is not actually like, you know, oh, justice is blind, the law applies to everybody equally. No. It's a tool of the rich to keep the lower classes in line and to establish a social order. It's essentially segregation or Jim Crow under a new name. That's why they, they have that new book called uh, The New Jim Crow, which is about the drug war. You're incarcerating insane numbers of uh, of people in the minority community and you've just changed the plantation 
It used to be the actual plantation, and now, you know, we just throw you in a jail cell once you hit your teenage years because you smoked a little weed. Meanwhile, you got white people smoking weed all over the place. They just don't get searched as much, and they don't get in trouble as much for doing it. And the studies show that as well. Blacks and whites use drugs at the same rate, but black people get arrested way more often for it. Okay. And and as to more to his point, four out of five of the uh, um, arrests during the, uh, the the mass incarcerations have been simple possession charges of, for people who don't have any significant history, who have no significant history of drug dealing. Simple possession charges. Okay, it didn't address no kingpins or it wasn't addressing any of the murders. The murder closure rate is very low, very extremely low. So it's mainly just it's a numbers game. Okay, you get paid by uh, the the uh, federal government based on your numbers. Let's take the call. Okay, how's it going, Jeff? Hello. Hello. I can't, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. We can't hear you, Jeff. Ah. I was saying, I wanted to uh, discuss, you know, even though there's a lot of outrage about the, um, you know, the whites are killing us and everything, but it still, it still should be an outrage about us killing us. I'm outraged you know? about it, Jeff. I'm outraged about it. But, see, we got to understand what's going on, too. A lot of times we think we we killed each other. I ain't killed. You killed anybody, Jeff? I ain't killing nobody. Okay, all right. Now, now, slow down, slow down. I didn't, let Jeff, slow down. I didn't kill nobody either. You killed anybody, uh... I haven't killed Let me explain either. something to you, Jeff. 99.9% of black people, and this is the danger of us saying uh, we killing each other, ain't killed nobody. What's what's going on is you got a black market of drugs. And a lot of those drugs, people that have guns have guns for a reason. The young people, think about the young people in your family. They got a gun. They got it more than likely because they're part of a, a drug gang or they're selling drugs. You, the drugs come with, the guns come with the drugs. So that's all that's a part. It's all interlinked with U.S. drug policy. Okay, we need to have treatment on demand. We got to eliminate the profit motive out of drugs, and we got to have a Marshall Plan to put people back to work. Otherwise, these kills are going to continue. We got to understand the source of the problem, or we will never defeat the problem. And that's what people people think that we're running out here. I'm killing Zach. I'm running up here and killing Leroy in Oklahoma. That's not how it goes down, buddy. All right. And I am outraged about the murder rate, but the murder rate closure rate is very abysmally low. Okay, but these these locking up people for simple possession charges are very high. That's the bulk of the arrest. Nonviolent offenders. It ain't the murders that's going to jail. It's the nonviolent uh, people with these simple possession charges of marijuana. That's why they wanted to decriminalize marijuana. Not because it's good for you, because there was an excuse to pull black people over, harass them, and put them in jail while white folks were let go. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I definitely agree. Uh, you know, of course, the society shows you that Caucasians get more breaks than we will ever, ever get. Uh, however, Again, like I said. And again, I'm not excusing murder. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm against it too. I'm definitely against that. For, uh, the action of, of our own actions, we have to be responsible for what we of do. Of course, but we like, if I didn't kill anybody, how could I be responsible for that? That's the problem. We we use, we let the media cause the police to go into our neighborhoods, like Malcolm X said, and create a police state based on some people who are involved in drug dealing that are uh, drug cartels that are committing these murders out here. Some have committed more than one, and they'll never get caught. The murder closure rate is very low. Then that's not what they're arresting people for. It's nonviolent drug offenses. That is true. That's the problem. And we one out of three black males will go to jail as a result in their lifetime. And that's, too, that's unacceptable. 
It's unacceptable. That that, that's how they discredit us because they'll say it's a new Jim Crow. And then once you go to court, then it's you have no credibility because they say, hey, he's he has a rest. Right, right, and mostly for uh, drug possession. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, it, it don't even have to be drug possession. I got, I, I've been arrested for stupid stuff like uh, traffic violation, uh, didn't pay a ticket, right? Uh, insurance lapse. And right, and, and right, like as Malcolm X said, as long as they can convince the the press can convince the public that we're a criminal, ninety percent of us are criminals. That's the danger of us saying us killing us when we ain't killed no damn body. As long as the press convince the the public. The white public, that 90% of us are criminals, then nothing's going to get done about one of three of us getting arrested. All right? We're going to we live in a police state in definitum until we understand what's going on in these streets and what's creating the murders. It ain't somebody carrying around a bag of weed, okay? It's somebody that has a lifestyle that's conducive to, I need this corner because I, this is my money, and you will get off this corner. Or I got this gun, and I'm not going to take this butt with because I got this gun because I'm selling dope. I, I have this gun. And I'm going to use it so I won't get a butt whip. All right? But I'm, the real reason I got the guns is because I'm selling drugs. Let's analyze stuff and stop accepting it the way it's, it's dished out to us. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, next up, we'll go to uh, Brother Carlos. Go ahead, Carlos. Oh, yeah. Oh, good afternoon. And thank you for the epiphany and, and your speaking uh, exactly what the situation is, is that we are so... Uh, Brainwashed. Brainwashed <laughs> and, and accepting um, stereotypes. Without proof. Without proof. Or any type of research. And, and so what happens is that you have the imprimatur of the black-on-black crime, uh, which we understand is a misnormal known because crime is crime. So uh, we need to throw that away. Now, this is the reason why I had the problem with Wilmore going on that uh, presidential uh, news conference and calling and saying to Barack Obama, you my N-I-G-G-A. Right, right, right. That's outrageous. Because, because here again, what you're doing is you're consigning, you're consigning a denigration to all black people, you know, as being N-I-G-G. Right, because you talk to the highest one in the land. Right. Technically. And as you say, you're painting, when you say black on black crime, or you're saying, well, they did this, they that we killed it. Then you are buying into the stereotype, which the white man will never buy into. Uh, Carlos, you killed any black men lately? Huh? Have, have you killed not. any black men lately? I have not. And that's never, what I, that's what I, I mean. Hope, hope <laughs> I never will. Never will. But, uh, <laughs> Me either. Well, so, but you, you keep up the good work, brother. Cause you know, <laughs> she's speaking the truth. Yeah. All right. We got Thank to, you. buddy. We got to. We will get out of this rut. Okay. Yeah, let's right. talk Thank about um, um, uh, some, some solutions to this thing. Suggestions on how to fix the problem. You have the press painting minority communities as a criminal element, and then, in, in a subconscious way to white people, they start to think, well, yeah, I guess harsh police tactics are okay because it's a criminal element. It's a criminal community, so of course you can go in there and be really aggressive and use, essentially, Gestapo tactics. You know what it is, man? It's the idea of guilty enough. The idea of well, what do you expect? The cops have a hard job and the communities are dangerous, so guilty enough. Go in there, crack down on them, put them in jail for smoking weed, put them in jail for uh, pissing on the street after having a few beers, put them, you know, put them in jail in debtor's prison in some cases. That's more with private companies, and that's another conversation for another day. But basically, be an occupying force in a community and have a standoffish attitude. 
And what ends up happening? There's going to be a backlash. Because people do not feel like they're free, and they certainly don't have the same opportunities that you have in uh, middle-class communities, upper-middle-class communities, rich communities, and white communities. So how do we fix this? You have to change the culture of policing, you have to tweak the laws, and you have to give people equal opportunity to succeed. And you have to stop treating them in a broad way like a criminal element, so I guess anything is justified, including beating your ass and severing your spine because you're a black kid who happened to, to look at me the wrong way, which is exactly what happened in the Freddie Gray story. That's white man. Okay, now I needed him to explain that to y'all because I could have very well done that. Okay, but you wouldn't. You would think of it as a bunch of whining, you know, and you know all this kind of stuff. No, this stuff is real. Not a figment of my imagination. It's not whining. It's reality. And we got exposed to stuff for what it is if we wanted to stop. And if we don't want another riot behind people without any opportunity or anything, constantly being harassed daily as young people, as older people, we don't see it as much. But the young people, they get, they get, they catch it, they get it. And that's why the Black Lives Matter movement is start, is, is gaining momentum. Let's talk about it. And of course, all these people are guilty, right? All of them are guilty. So why, why you know why not uh, uh, beat them up and break their neck, sever their spine? So let's talk about the Innocence Project. Let's talk about that and see what that's about. He tells me he never thought this day would come, but kept holding on to hope. Tears of happiness. Emotional video shows the moment Malcolm Bryant was released from jail Wednesday. This after DNA evidence cleared Bryant of a murder conviction that left him behind bars for 17 years. Right now, man, my head is still numb, Rick. I'm still trying to soak it all in and still giving thanks and praising God. The 42-year-old spoke in length with WJZ Wednesday night, describing the second he was released. I've never walked on the moon before, but it's like hot stepping out of the ground, not having shackles on and being a free man. It was amazing. Bryant was convicted in 1999 for the murder of 16-year-old Tony Bullock who was walking home with a friend on Hartford Road when a man pulled her into an empty lot and stabbed her to death. The Baltimore Innocence Project fought for years to clear Brian's name. Finally, after six rounds of DNA testing, he was able to show through DNA evidence that he was not the one who killed Tony Bullock. What we found was that the strength of the sole identification did not outweigh the strength of the DNA evidence. A day Brian admits he never thought would come, one that's still surreal. They had to pinch me to, to let me know that I, was, I, 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 just, I wasn't dreaming, that it was real. Brian calls the Baltimore Innocence Project angels sent from God. For others who are innocent and behind bars, he says his story is living proof there's hope. Keep praying and don't give up. The angel is coming. The angel is coming. Okay. And he wasn't the only one, people. You know, the Innocence Project alone, and there's several uh, different um, uh, organizations bent on freeing innocent people, has has um, freed over 347 people with excessive sentences and some of them were on death row. Okay? Um, and it's, it's estimated... Oh, well, it's like 144 people have been exonerated, not just by the end, but other, other organizations as well, since 1973 from death row. 144 people. And they say that twice the amount of people that's exonerated, this is according to the National Academy of Sciences, twice the, the number of people that's exonerated are, are, are probably put to death. Okay, so if they exonerate 144, then tw um, that number, you know, you can figure were killed, you know, innocent people were killed. So we got to be careful when we say, okay, well, they did it, so let's lock them up. And, and I, know, I know for a fact that this goes on because, you know, I had a relative that was in jail. And the only way he was he was let free was because they had, we, we were able to hire a lawyer for him, and they were able to pull film from the um, City Watch cameras that showed that he wasn't even there. 
and they had him, you know, uh, witness and all this kind of stuff. On circumstantial evidence, they're about to convict him. The only thing saving was was real proof from a camera. So I know stuff goes on, and it, and it's a result of the police state that we live in. All right, and there's no justice. What do they say? Where there's too many lawyers, there can be no justice. Where there's uh, uh, too many police, there can be no security. So we got to watch what we say. We got to watch what we do. And as long as we got this war on drugs, we're going to have this situation where we're going to have one in three black males born today incarcerated. And we can't have that because it ruins their opportunities throughout life because they serve time on the inside, time on the outside, too. And it makes it hard for them to get jobs. Zach? Um, and just going to the uh, Innocence Project's website, uh, they have a quick fact sheet. Um, and out of their 341 exonerees, 209 were African-Americans. And then um, out of their exonerees, um, 147 true suspects were actually found. So it's almost like they didn't even do an investigation to figure out who actually did it because, you know, years later they're able to go ahead right, and right. find out it's who the person was. Good point, because the, the, the young man was free just recently in Baltimore. They, they, uh, why didn't the, um, the 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 city of Baltimore pull the DNA and check that? Mm-hmm. You know, it took the Innocence Project, people that don't work for Baltimore City, to prove this man's innocent and spent all that time in jail. Man, been in jail since, what, 17 years? Mm-hmm. 1999 sometime? And then 71% of the cases involved um, eyewitness misidentification. So that goes to the stereotypes um, that are perpetrated by the propaganda from the war on drugs where, um, you know, you're more likely to assume that a certain person did something without even thinking twice. That's why this is dangerous. That's why U.S. drug policy is very dangerous. And you don't find out what happens to you or happens to a loved one. Okay. So let's, uh, let's be careful. We're about to close the show. Are we? Yep. Okay. Um, yep. This. Yeah. We're about to close the show. This. Um, uh, Leroy, you have anything? Uh, yeah. So, so you know, when 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 we look back on a lot of these, uh, a lot of our civil rights leaders, such as Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, uh, just let's try to remember not to commodify them the way that um, a lot of uh, corporations tend to do. For example, Martin Luther King and how you know his speeches. Um, the right to his speeches are sold for millions of dollars. And recently, um, a new letter from Malcolm X was found, and, and it's going. Well, his family um, was trying to like sell his no peace prize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So these are things that we should kind of, you know, try to stay away from and just focus on their ideology and how they evolved over time as right. over time as humans and leaders. And they both had a lot to say about riots. If you look at their speeches that are current today, it's applicable, right. very applicable today. Okay, we're about to close the show. Thank you for another uh, formative edition, for attending another informative edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And um, I guarantee you, if you come back again, you're going to learn something every time you listen. So be back next week at 2 o'clock for the Call Tyrone Show. And I thank you for your time.